Pastor Chris's podcast. This cantata captures the, the glory and the wonder and the excitement that is certainly part of the, Chris, um, of the Christmas season, but of Christ's birth 2,000 years ago. The people of Israel, the whole world really, was waiting for a Savior. And that 400 year period of God's silence between the Old Testament when it was completed and the birth of Christ was a pause that punctuated the greatest word Christ, or that God would ever speak. In Luke, 10, Luke 2, verse 10 and 11, where it says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Jesus came in peace, offering God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. But many in Israel were hoping for and expecting a military leader who would violently conquer God's enemies and drive them from the Holy Land. How could there be such this this separation between what people were expecting and what God sent in the Messiah Christ? And part of the reason that they expected and hoped for a mighty conqueror instead of a suffering savior has much to do with the history of Israel during the four centuries between the Old Testament and the New. And I want to explore that history. Since the choir has done such a good job of inspiring us all today, I can just focus on boring you with the history. So thanks a lot for setting me up. But in particular today, I want to focus on the Maccabean revolt, revolt, which was the inspiration for the modern Jewish holiday that was just finished this last Monday, Hanukkah. Malachi was the last book written in the Old Testament. It was written probably around 475 B.C. God spoke through the prophet. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says, Look, I am sending my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. Who do you remember that in the Gospels was a messenger that prepared the way for Christ? Do you remember? John, John the Baptist. The Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they will once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem, as he did in the past. At that time, I will put you on trial. I am eager to witness against all sorcerers, adulterers, and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. These people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Judgment is certainly a theme of this passage. God says, the Lord, the people were seeking, would judge sinners. And this refers to Jesus, the Messiah. God says the Messiah will come to the temple and purify like a refiner's fire. And God also says that there will be a trial and judgment against evildoers, in particular against sorcerers and adulterers and liars and people who cheat their employees, people who oppress widows and orphans, people who are not fair to foreigners that live among them and do not give them justice. After Malachi spoke, no other prophet's words were preserved in the Bible. Israel was ruled by the Persian Empire. Then Alexander the Great of Greece conquered most of the known world, including Persia. And Israel was ruled by Greece for 13 years. And the Greek Empire changed the, the whole world. Greek became the universal language that almost everyone speaks the same way today. English is, is like a universal language that people, many people throughout the world know how to speak. But when Alexander the Great died unexpectedly, his empire broke into four smaller, less powerful kingdoms. Macedonia, Ptolemaic Egypt, Seleucid, Syria, and Pergamum. The first to rise to prominence and rule Israel for 125 years were the Greek Egyptians. They allowed Israel to have a certain amount of autonomy, but they encouraged the Israelites to adopt many elements of Greek religion and culture. Many Israelites among the upper crust of society accepted these new Greek ideas because you had to Hellenize and become more Greek if you wanted to succeed and move up the social ladder. To resist or reject Greek influence was to be seen as backwards, outdated, ignorant, and irrelevant. To be sure, there were many positive elements of Greek culture. Systems of logic and reason, mathematics, architecture. We got a lot of rain here yesterday didn't we? Maybe you used an umbrella. You can thank the Greeks for that. They were the ones that brought that to us. And maybe if you go on a trip, you use a a map or you use a GPS that uses a map. You can thank the Greeks for that too. They were the ones that helped bring maps into use in the world. But along with these good things, there were also the expectation to worship Greek gods and demigods like Zeus, Hercules, Pan, and others. And so in Israel, in the intertestamental period, there was a rift that formed in Israelite society between those who accepted Greek culture in order to move up and those who wanted to remain pure and be faithful only to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And there was this constant tension between those two groups of people. The second little Greek kingdom to rule over Israel were the Greek Syrians. When they took over from the Egyptians in 198 BC, they started playing hardball with Israel. The Syrians were tired of the stubborn, rebellious Israelites who were always clinging to Jewish religion and their culture. 
All the other conquered peoples in the, in the Greek world had accepted and converted to Greek religion and culture. The Jews were the only holdouts. And the Syrians made it their goal to rid Israel of Judaism. The Syrians tried to transform the temple of Jerusalem into a temple where they worshipped Greek gods. Jewish sacrifices, circumcision, observance of the Sabbath day and the Jewish feast were forbidden. Jewish sacrifice in the holy temple was replaced with sacrifices to Zeus and even included unclean animals like pigs that were offensive to the Jewish people. And the people were forced to decide, would they be, would they accept Greek culture and succeed in society or will they stick to God? One priest in a small town outside of Jerusalem had had enough. When a Syrian official tried to enforce heathen sacrifice in his town, Mattathias Maccabeus murdered the Syrian official. He and his sons, the Maccabees, fled into the Judean wilderness and began a 32-year revolt against Syria. They raided Jewish towns and killed any Jews that they found who were sacrificing to Greek gods or who were collaborating with Hellenists. And little by little, the Maccabean guerrilla warfare wore down the Greek Syrian kingdom. The Maccabees recaptured and cleansed the Jerusalem temple in 165 and reinstated Jewish religion and sacrifice. Many believe that this was the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy in Malachi chapter 3, 1 that we read this morning where it said, The Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. And it talks about the purification that would happen. And then the Jews regained independence in 142 B.C. Jewish kings were allowed to rule in Jerusalem once again. But these ruthless kings who ruled in Jerusalem were the Hasmonean dynasty. They were not of the royal line of David. In 128 B.C., they raided the northern kingdom of Samaria. And they demanded that the Samaritans should convert to Judaism. And when the Samaritans refused, they destroyed the Samaritans' temple. This and other events like it led to the bitter animosity between Jews and Samaritans that we read about in the New Testament. Have you ever wondered why, when you read the Gospels, it talks about how the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along? It's because it had centuries of history between them where they did things like this to each other. But these Hasmonean rulers of Jerusalem served as both kings and high priests. But they were not pure, they were not holy, or even good, and they were not of the royal line of David. A politically savvy group known as the Sadducees said that it didn't matter. The Sadducees preferred terrible Jewish rulers over good pagan rulers. The Pharisees said that a true king must be of the line of David. And they never accepted the Hasmonean rulers. 
This became a bitter dispute that divided the Pharisees who wanted to return to pure Judaism and the Sadducees who were willing to compromise for political expediency. The reconstituted independent Israel was not a kingdom to be proud of. There was no justice. There was no peace. Violence and chaos was the order of the day. and People were playing politics all the time. The leaders said that they worshipped God, but their religion was a lie. And in 63 AD, a new and more powerful empire marched into Jerusalem with its legions and took over. The Roman Empire came and their rule in Jerusalem began. And the people still yearned for a Messiah to come and to save them from oppression and to finally bring God's kingdom on earth. Would this Messiah be like Mattathias Maccabeus, a priest who murdered oppressive officials, waged war on God's enemies, and violently cleansed the temple in Jerusalem? That's what a lot of people expected. It's what a lot of people wanted. But God had a much better plan. He foretold that the Messiah who would be, he foretold a Messiah who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The true Messiah's plan is foretold, as it says in Isaiah 61, verse 1, where he said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be set free. And so Jesus came and would read these very words from the scroll of Isaiah in a synagogue in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And he would say, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Well, we know that Christmas is two weeks away, minus one day. But we're still waiting for that to come. But we don't know how long we will have to wait for Jesus to finally return and judge the living and the dead and to right all of the wrongs in our broken world. We don't know how long we have to wait. And waiting is hard. And sometimes we just want the waiting to be over. Sometimes we just want things to get fixed. And while we wait and wait and wait, It is sometimes tempting to jump ahead and to put our hope in people or institutions or things. Perhaps we think this religious leader will be the one we can trust. Or maybe that celebrity is one that we can truly admire. Or maybe the next president will be the one that finally puts our country back on the right track. Why do we think our help will come from these and not from Jesus? And while we wait, it can be so easy to waver back and forth, compromising important core values that we should never compromise for the sake of practicality. Or, on the other end of the spectrum, 
We become militant idealists who are incapable of compromise at all. Perhaps the best course of action, while we wait, is to allow Jesus to fulfill Malachi's words in us. To allow Jesus to purify us, refining us like gold and silver, burning away all the impurities in us. Not pointing the finger at someone else, saying God's got to fix them, but allowing God to fix us. Perhaps it is best that while we wait, we truly live for God in Christ. By not cheating employees of their wages. By not oppressing widows and orphans. By not depriving foreigners living among us of justice and fairness. Perhaps while we wait, we should be about fulfilling Jesus' mission as quoted in Isaiah 61.1. Where it says, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, comfort the brokenhearted, proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Waiting is hard. But sometimes, God Himself is the one who tells us to wait and to be faithful. And while we wait, we should worship and serve God and God alone by living out the principles and the mission of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the celebration of Christmas that, that ushers in the, the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. As we wait for his return, as we wait for Him to come and fix our broken world, as He promised He would do, help us to be faithful and help us to be about His kingdom work. Help us not to look for the kingdoms of this world to fix our problems, but help us instead to live as and be Your kingdom here on earth. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.